You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. This morning, as we are into 2023, I want to talk to you about what I feel like God's put on my heart for this year and what I feel like our purpose is for this year. This theme for 2023 is really that God would give us greater faith. That God would give us greater faith greater faith to believe God for miracles, signs and wonders, greater faith for us to grow personally and spiritually, greater faith to serve God and his church, and a greater faith to share the gospel with those around us. If we do just even one of those things, it's going to require a great amount of faith. For any of us to do any one of those things in our own personal life, for some of us, it's going to take great faith to do. My prayer is that God would increase your capacity for faith. We all have a degree of faith in our life, whether it's big or small, we all have it. Some of us have a mustard seed size faith. Others of us have faith to believe God for really incredibly big things. But wherever it is, I want you to know something today that God is capable of increasing your capacity for faith. That you would have greater faith to believe God for greater things. We all have a measure of faith, but my prayer is that God would increase it. And all these things are going to take a great amount of faith from us in order to see it happen. And my, my desire this year is that you would stand with me and believe with me for greater faith this year. Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 26. And this is a familiar passage of Scripture. You've probably read it before. You're familiar with it. Maybe you've heard it preached on before. But this morning I want to take a different perspective on it as we look at the need for faith and the importance of making sure that our faith doesn't die that our faith uh, is, doesn't go by the wayside. So I want us to take a look at it together. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, you can follow me on the screen behind me. And it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. But even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not just by faith alone. And in the same way, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works 
is also dead. Now, before we begin, first and foremost, it's important for us to understand that good works are not the means of our salvation, but rather the fruit of our salvation. We're not saved by what we do. If we did, then all of our activity, whether you're involved with the Rotary Club or if you volunteer at the Boy Scouts or if you volunteer at the soup kitchen, then if you did enough good works, then yes, you could get into heaven. But that's not what the Scriptures are saying at all. Okay? We're not saved by works, but rather works and good deeds and actions are a result of our faith. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus alone. We're not saved by works, but by faith. However, if people do not see your works motivated by your faith, how will they even know that you're a Christian at all? And that's a question you must ask yourself. Do people even know you're a Christian at all? Like, have you ever told them? Has the conversation ever come up? Have you ever said to somebody, like, I can't get together today because I'm going to church? Or do you say, I can't go today, I have plans? Or do you volunteer or do good works for others? And when people say, well, why are you doing that? And you say, it's because my faith motivates me to do these things. The question is not whether or not you have faith. The question is, do other people know you have faith? That's the real question. William Tyndale wrote this and says in James 2, 14 through 17, at the heart of the question of the issue, is an inactive, non-working faith a genuine saving faith? James' implied answer is no. Such an unworking profession of faith is not biblical faith. For faith without works is a fallacy or a lie, end quote. Now, some people will claim that the Bible contradicts itself here because James, who wrote this, who is the brother of Jesus and also the head of the church in Jerusalem, uh, seems to say that works are necessary for salvation. But then the Apostle Paul in his other writings says that salvation by grace through faith and not by works. So is there a contradiction? Well, let's take a look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Paul writes this. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, because it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should be able to boast. So it would appear at first glance that they're contradicting each other, but they are actually not. Let's consider the distinction. Matthew Henry states that when Paul refers to works in Romans and Ephesians, he's speaking about the works of the Jewish law, which have no bearing on someone who's a Gentile or an unbeliever. So Paul went and ministered in Rome. He went and ministered in Ephesus. Those are not Jewish people that are coming to Christ. Those are Gentiles, unbelievers. So Paul is saying those works of the law are not what's going to save you but rather faith in Christ is what saves you. He also makes a point that the man is not saved by his observance of the Jewish law, but by grace through faith in Jesus. Paul is making the case that grace, faith, and confession are necessary for an unbeliever to become a Christian. But James' writings are speaking to those who already profess to be Christians. Listen, if you're already Christian, James says this, it's great that you have said you have faith. But does your faith go beyond just talking about, I'm a Christian, I go to church, yes, I believe? He makes it clear that it's not enough just to say you're a Christian by confession or only by your works. Your behavior and your service to God must demonstrate that you are a Christian too. A fact that both the Apostle Paul and James would agree upon. 
because Paul talks about Christian service in his writings as well. So they're not actually in disagreement at all. A New Bible commentary says this, quote, James 2, 20 through 25, James now observes that faith and actions, or deeds and work, cannot be separated. Faith which is in, only in the mind is not yet complete. It becomes complete when it is the results in the decision of the will carried out in action. So in this, Paul and James agree. Paul is against works in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 and 4, but the works he are against are the works of the law, which are those ritual actions such as circumcision, dietary rules, and Sabbath-keeping, which marked out a Jew from a non-Jew. So Paul and James are not contradicting each other, but rather it's a call by James for believers to do what they say they believe in, not just talking. And he gives some practical advice on how to do that, too. So if we were to look at uh, verses 15 and 16 of uh, James chapter 2, he says, if a brother or sister, now he's referring to, when he says brother or sister, he's saying if a fellow Christian, if a believer in Christ, someone who goes to your church, someone who's in your fellowship, if they are saying, like, they don't have clothes to wear, or they're wearing the same clothes all the time, or if they don't have food in their pantry to eat, and you see this, or they share it with you, and you say, and you do the spiritual thing. You say, I'm a brother, sister. I'm so sorry for you. But let me pray about that. And I pray God provides for you. And they go on their merry way. They say, well, be warm and be well fed. James says that faith doesn't do anyone any good. But he says instead of just seeing that and being spiritual, and just talking about how God will provide, which God will provide, how about you be the person that God provides through? How about you be the answer to the prayer, the means to the end? When we see it, we don't have to say, God, what should we do in this situation, my poor brother, my poor sister? We should say, you know what? I'm so sorry to hear that. Here's something to help you. Or here's something I can do for you. Or I'm going to drop by your house later, and I'm going to dr drop off some groceries. Sometimes it's better not even to tell them that you're going to do that. Because a lot of people are sometimes embarrassed by the fact that they're in need. But if you were to surprise them somehow, not tell them that you're going to be dropping by with groceries, but you drop by with groceries, you can be a blessing to somebody and encourage them greatly. So the advice is that when we hear about it, we should do something about it. Now, verse 18 says, Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. As one writer says, quote, When James says, show me your works, he does not mean prove it to me, but rather exhibit it to me. Faith is unseen to all except for God. To show faith to man, works in some form are needed. We are justified judiciously to, by God in Romans 8.33, meritoriously by Christ, Isaiah 53.11, meditatively by faith, Romans 5.1, and evidently by works. The question here is not as the ground on which the believer is justified, but rather whether their demonstration of their faith is visible. So James is not asking the reader to say, prove it to me that you have faith, or even to prove it to God that you have faith. He says, prove it to everyone else you have faith by doing something that fits the character and the commands of God's Word. 
which means that if God's word tells us we are to do good to one another, then we should, don't you think? And if God's word tells us to avoid certain kind of behaviors, a certain kind of actions that he deems are sinful and, and uh, unproductive to the life of the Christian, then it's important that we listen to his commands and do those things. It's the thing that marks us and identifies us as Christians. It's not the thing that saves us. It's the thing that makes it known that we are saved. Faith is visible to God and in the heart of man, but faith is invisible to man around us without actions that demonstrate it. A faith that believes in Christ but does nothing in conjunction with his faith is incomplete. It's kind of like if you were in school and you did all the assignments except the one big group project at the end, and you just said, I'm not doing that. Or if there was a term paper that was due, and you didn't do the term paper, but you did everything else, you might get a grade that's incomplete, but you might also get a really bad grade, too, because you didn't do it because you were, did not finish everything that was asked of you. So here's a principle I want us to get a hold of as we talk about greater faith. Faith must be declared, which we believe in that. We speak it. But it must also be displayed, and it also must be demonstrated. Let me explain this a little bit more. Faith must be declared. It's not about just what we say. It's important that we do speak words that are rooted and grounded in God's word and firmly established in faith. It's important for us to speak out things that are true. But that's only one aspect of it. But our faith must also be on display through our works. Do people see what you are doing for the Lord, and do they make a connection with him? If they don't see it, then there's nothing evident about what you say to people about what you believe. Not just being displayed, but also a demonstration of obedience. Faith requires us that when God asks us to do something, we actually go ahead and do it. When he challenges us with difficult things, I'm not talking about leaving the country and going to Africa to become a missionary, although God might call you to do that. But even asking you to do the difficult things about forgiving your ex, or the difficult things about being reconciled to your father, or the difficult things about making amends with your children, or the difficult things about, you know, removing some of the things from your life that are not pleasing to God, those are difficult things. And there's times where we're resistant to that. But obedience is a demonstration of our faith. I'll say it again. Faith is not just declared. It must be displayed and demonstrated. It's easier to say something than it is to do it, isn't it? How many have been caught up in the moment where God's really moving on your heart to do something, and then you say, oh, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And then you don't do it. And there's no accountability that no one else is calling you out on the fact that you didn't do it. Right? So it's easier to say things. So if faith was just a matter of declaration, it would be super easy. But faith is where the rubber meets the road is when you actually, your words that you said, I'm going to do it, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. Or I'm going to start a ministry here. I'm going to start meeting with guys. Or I'm going to start meeting with the women of our church. And we're going to get together and we're going to read and we're going to pray. Or I'm going to start doing family devotions in my house, and things are going to be different there. And then you drop it. It's so much easier to say it than it is to do it, isn't it? But the demonstration of our faith is taking our declaration and actually putting actions behind it. 
faith is way much more than just belief. Verses 18 and 19 says, Even the demons believe in God and tremble. But no one would say a demon has faith. If believing in God was it, then even the, the demons would have faith. But no one would accuse the demons of having faith because the demons resent God. They are resistant to God. They don't listen to his commands. They aren't obedient to him. They are rebellious, and they fear him not out of reverence, but because they despise him. That's not faith. So belief is not just enough. We need to have more than just faith. Faith is actively believing the God that you believe in and serving the God that you serve. Even in James 1, 23 and 24, for if anyone hears the word and doesn't do it, he's like a man observing his face in the mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and forgets what kind of man he is. If you want to know the true measure of faith, obedience is the indicator of genuine faith. It shows that you honor God and follow God, more than just, I believe in God. The majority of the country believes in God, but it has no bearing or effect on their life because they're not really actively following him. What does active faith look like? Verses 21 through 25 talks about active faith is credited to righteousness. James writes that the example of Abraham and Rahab as people who believed God and did things that honored him. This is similar to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. If you read through Hebrews 11, there are instance after instance, uh, character after character in the Scripture that the writer of Hebrews cites as people who heard from God, believed what he said, and acted on And because of it, it was credited to them as righteousness. In other words, because of this, God was pleased by their actions because God asked them to do something, they actually did it. And it was credited to them as righteousness and counted to their salvation. James cites the example of Abraham. It was Abraham's obedience who said, when God said to him, leave the land of your forefathers and go to the place I'm going to show you, the promised land, and I will make out of you a great nation. You know what Abraham did? He didn't go, wow, God, thanks for showing me that in my devotional time. I'm going to journal that and sit on it for six years. Let me know if this is hitting home yet. No, he didn't do that. He says he immediately got up and left with his family and his possessions and went to the place that God showed him. When Jesus came along the Sea of Galilee and he went to Peter and Andrew and other people and said, come and follow me, they didn't sit there and go, I don't know, let me think about this. Let me go talk with Zebedee. Let me figure out if this is the best course of action for my career right now. And then once I've weighed out all my options, then Jesus, I'll get back to you. If you look throughout the Gospels, anytime someone, uh, Jesus said to them, come and follow me, and they gave an excuse, Jesus was like, that's fine, I'll find somebody else. What if we treated our life that way? What if when God asked us to do us, and he would only ask to do it once, and you wouldn't get a second chance? Would that change the way that we respond to him? The disciples, when they heard Jesus call them, said, come and follow me, it says they immediately left their nets, and their father in the boat and went and followed after Jesus. Abraham's faith was tested in his obedience too because he knew that God was going to give him a son and that son's name was Isaac and he would be the future of the Jewish people. And the Lord said to 
to Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son. And Abraham had to really think about it for a minute, but he was obedient to it. And he said, even if I sacrifice my son, I know that God can raise him from the dead. So God, I trust you. I'm going to be obedient to you. How much of his future hung upon whether or not that child lived or died? So much. But he trusted God and believed him. And his son was not killed, in case you didn't know the story. And he ended up being the father of a great nation. In the case of Rahab, her belief in the Lord and their fear of God led her to help Joshua and the spies win the battle in Jericho. Both were obedient to the plan of God in their own lives. And because of it, God rewarded their faith. So what's the key to greater faith? You want greater faith this year? The key to greater faith is obedience, is doing what the Lord asks you to do, regardless of whether you think you can do it or not. That last part's super important. It's about doing it whether or not you think you can. In fact, I would even say it's better that if you don't think that you can do it because it makes you completely dependent upon the Lord. Some of us say, well, I can't be like Abraham. I can't be like Moses. I can't be like Elijah. Do you know there's a point in time in each of those people's lives where God said, hey, I want you to do this, and they didn't think they could? They really questioned whether or not they were even going to be able to do it. But you know what? They did anyway. It's like, all right, God, I don't know how this is going to come about. You know, Moses, God asked Moses three times, and Moses like, somebody else, really. But God was persistent to make sure that Moses like, no, you need to do this. I'm calling you to do it. And so there's times where you're not going to think that you're able to do it, and you are the perfect candidate to be used by God, because if you don't think you can, it means that you have to be fully dependent on the Lord to do it. I believe that if you do that this year, you'll have greater faith. Our text in James 2 ends with this verse, and verse 26 is the one that's often quoted the most. For just as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And here is the danger for everyone who sits in this room. Here's the real danger that every single person who's a Christian faces. The real danger is that if each Christian here does not exercise their faith, your faith will wither and die. Your faith will die. Faith is like a muscle. It needs to be exercised. If it isn't used, it begins to weaken, atrophy, and lose its strength. If your faith is not actively being used in your daily life, it will die. The saying, use it or lose it, is apt here. When you're not exercising your faith, the things that you once believed will go by the wayside. Don't believe me? You may find yourself saying, when you were younger, you used to believe things. When you were first saved, you used to believe things. Now as you've gotten older, more matured, more seasoned, more ground down by life, more... uh, you know, kind of worn down by the experiences of life, you might say, find yourself saying things like this, I used to go to church, but I got too busy. Life got too busy. We all get too busy, believe me. I used to listen to preaching and teaching, but then I realized I've heard it all before, so I stopped listening. You might even find yourself saying, I used to believe that God still saved, delivered, and healed, but sometimes he doesn't. So I don't bother to pray anymore about those things. 
where I used to be used by God in mighty ways, but then one day it stopped. When you start saying these things, when you start couching your faith in excuses, you'll find yourself starting to drift away. When you find yourself drifting, this is what it'll look like. You won't bother to pray anymore. You won't even crack open your Bible anymore. You'll be rarely seen in church, if at all. And you'll hardly give any thought to God in your daily life anymore. If this is happening to you, I need to tell you and need to warn you, your faith is weakening. Your faith is starting to atrophy. Your, your strength in God is starting to wane. And if you are not careful, your faith will indeed go by the wayside, and it won't even be a part of your life anymore. There are things in this life that work against your faith, always and actively. Things like worry, things like your doubts, things like fear, whether things will work out or fear of what others will say. Sometimes that will keep you from doing some of the things that God wants you to do. We're worried about, well, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? Followers of Jesus need to stop weighing out the fear of man in their decision-making process. You have to realize God asked you to do it. He didn't ask anybody else to do it. And he didn't check with everybody else to see if it was okay first. In fact, if anything, he wants you to do it because it's going to cause and disturb things and, and kind of stir things up so that things start moving in a way that they hadn't moved before. Sometimes our faith is weakened because we become comfortable. When you become comfortable, you're no longer challenged. If you're no longer challenged, faith is no longer exercised. Hear me when I say that. If you're no longer challenged, your faith is not exercised because it just becomes ritual and rote to you. Other things that can weaken your faith is influence of the world around you, influence from people who are worldly and absence from time with the Lord. All these things will weaken your faith. And I got news for you. They're not letting up, and it's not going away anytime soon. The world is still the world. The challenges are still the challenges. Life is still life and will continue to be. But sometimes you need to be challenged. Missionary Hudson Taylor has this quote, says this, there are three stages to every great work of God. Impossible, difficult, and done. Every Three stages to every great work of God. Impossible, difficult, and done. People give up at the first and second part. God calls you to do something or directs you to do something that's impossible in your mind and impossible in your heart. And you say, it can't be done. It's impossible. But say you get over the first part where you say, okay, it's, I don't believe it's impossible, but you start to put your hand to the plow, you start doing the things God wants you to do, and things become difficult. Your family doesn't understand you. Things become tense at home because you're starting to follow God and you start trying to live for Him, and then all of a sudden your family doesn't understand you anymore. Or you start a ministry, and you have um, your first meeting, and there's 10 people there, and then you have your second Bible study, and there's three people there, and you go, it's difficult. I give up. There's no people showing up for this. Can I just tell you now, there was times where Jesus had 5,000, and there was times that Jesus had 12. But Jesus didn't go, God, it's not working out. Take me up. There's never a point in time where you gave up, okay? 
There are times where things are going to be difficult as you serve the Lord, but it's the ones who put their hand to the plow and push through and break up the difficult ground that start to see God do something. It's like plowing. We don't plow fields anymore, although we live in Southwick and it's a farming community, and we still do that, I think, somewhat. But like plowing is difficult. If you had like an oxen and a, a hand plow, the ground gets hard. It gets beat down over the wintertime. It freezes, thaws, refreezes again. And so when you're pushing on it, it sometimes doesn't want to move. Sometimes it doesn't want to break up. If it breaks up, then you could put seed in there and things can grow. But if it doesn't break up, then that seed will just bounce off the surface and not go anywhere. Many of us will start something, and because it's hard, we stop. I didn't think there would be resistance here. I didn't think this would be hard. I didn't think this would be work. But if you press through that part of the difficulty, it's only a matter of time before the work that God gave you to do is finally done. Results come when you apply your hand to the plow and stay faithful. Here's another test of your faith, as if I didn't make you uncomfortable enough already. You still with me? You're visiting, you're like, I'm not coming back here ever again. I hope you'll come back. Here's another test of your faith. Ask yourself the question, what are you doing for God right now that doesn't directly benefit you? What are you doing for God right now that doesn't revolve around you being the center of the universe? What is God working on in your heart and life that doesn't involve your prayers, your needs, your difficulties, your situations? Don't get me wrong, it's okay to pray for those things. It's okay to believe God for those things. But if your faith's not being extended beyond it, guess who's the only person that's seeing it? You and God. Nobody else is seeing your faith. The challenge to greater faith this year is will other people see that you believe God and you follow God and you serve God and that you love God more than just what's going on in your life, what's going on in Dan's life, what's going on in Stephanie's life, what's going on in our individual lives. Will people see that or will they just see us kind of struggling along with our faith? Just keep trucking along, keep keep trying to believe God. And can I challenge you too that there are times where even that's too hard for us. I don't know if I can keep going, Pastor. Come on. Come on now. God's bigger than that. He died on the cross for us. He's bigger than that. And we're still going, I'm not so sure. I don't know. Does he love me still? Does he care about me? May the Lord help us. Our faith will never exceed the ceiling of our life if we never believe him for greater things and we never just push through the difficulty. Yes, it's impossible. Yes, it's difficult. But will we see it done to the glory of God? Yes, I believe we will. (laughs) So we know the things that will weaken your faith, but do you know what the things are that will strengthen your faith? Just share a few things with you. Spend time with the Lord, obviously. We're like, yeah, of course, Pastor. But are we doing it? That's the question. When you spend time with Him, you listen to Him, you ask Him, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do five years from now? What do you want me to do every day of my life? God, whatever you say, I'll do, even if it's hard. Serve others. 
Nothing will test your ability to trust God more than when people look to you for help. Nothing will challenge your faith more when you realize, wow, this is a lot of work, and this is difficult, and God, if you don't give me the strength, I'm not going to be able to keep doing this. I, I don't have enough to keep giving people and to help people. But when you serve others, it will be challenging, and those challenges will cause you to, to pray more and trust God more. Can I challenge you to spend time around people who have strong faith? And believe me when I say it here, church, there are people in this church that have strong faith. Hang around those people for a while. And you'll either say, oh, come on, or you're like, okay, right? Hang around people who have strong faith. They will inspire you for greater, to believe greater. Going to church. Mutual fellowship with one another among the believers will strengthen you so that you can be strong in your faith. So another thing you can do. Do hard things that force you to trust God. If you've ever gone to the gym... Believe me, I do. I know it doesn't look like it, but you only get stronger. Think about it. You only get stronger with the more weight and resistance you put up. And there's a point where you, you're fine with a certain weight, and it's not even effort for you anymore. You know what you need? More weight, more resistance, more back and forth, more challenge. And in that, you are developing strength and muscles greater than what you had before. Do hard things and trust God. Build up your faith meter. Believe it or not, each of you here, if you were to picture for a moment, you have a little meter inside you. And it's a little faith meter. I would almost picture it, it kind of looks like one of those little pressure meters. Or maybe like a gas tank, if you would. But like, depending on how full or how empty it is, will depend on where that level is. Is it in the red, or is it in the yellow, or is it in the green? If you picture that in your head for a moment. And each subsequent thing that we do challenges us to believe God for more. But if your faith is only as big as praying over your dinner at night or praying over your breakfast in the morning, that's very small. It's the challenges that cause your faith to grow. Because now you have to pray for something bigger. You have to pray for something greater. So if you've never had to pray for healing before, sometimes you might need healing. So when you find yourself sick, that's the time to pray. Or someone else is sick and you need to pray for them. You're trusting God for something you hadn't trusted him for before. If you need God's provision concerning something, maybe a bill's crossed your doorstep or it ended up in your mailbox and it was bigger than you expected, Certainly your heating bills are that way lately. You get a nasty surprise in the mail, and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this, and I'm going to default on this. But you, when you go and bring that to prayer, you'll never know that God is a God that provides until you learn to pray that God provides. And when you pray that God provides and he answers it, guess what? Your meter just went up another quarter tank there. If you need direction and you have to make difficult decisions, you're placed between two jobs or two situations or a business decision, and you have two decisions before you and you don't know what it is, bring it before God. Say, God, what do you want me to do? What's the most God-honoring thing? Not what the most profitable thing is, but what's the most God-honoring thing because that has greater longevity than the profits that are here now. And when you do that and God answers and God blesses beyond what you could have imagined or thought, your faith goes up exponentially. So now your meter is stronger. 
Your meter is higher. You believe God for things that you didn't believe him for before. Why? Because of the challenges that were faced in your life and because you included God in the discussion process. Now, interesting thing about this that you'll have to keep in mind is that once you've been challenged by something and you've gotten through it, it becomes easier to believe the next time. In fact, that's a good thing because you pray stronger, but it can also be a bad thing because you can settle into complacency. Oh, God will just do it because I know he will. You ever know that moment where you're like nervous and will he come through or he will not come through? You know, those moments where you're just like, you're really trusting God, you're really challenging in your heart there. You won't know that feeling until a greater challenge comes your way. If you were to look at 2023, that every challenge that comes your way this year is an opportunity to go for God to show himself to a greater degree in your situation, then your faith will grow exponentially. You'll learn to pray for harder things. You'll learn to believe God for more difficult things. You'll learn to trust God in the midst of the valley that you're in. And it'll become such a regular practice to you that it will become like muscle memory. Once you've done something enough times, when crisis hits, muscle memory kicks in and you just do that. The challenge is to keep your faith fresh by recognizing that everything that comes your way this year, you will face with faith and prayer trusting God. Do you believe you can do that? Hallelujah. Learn and write down lessons from your experience. Journaling is important. Write them down, reflect on them. And if you're ever feeling down, go back and look at it. Say, write down the date, write down what you were going through. Then reflect. And you know what's interesting about prayer requests? Sometimes we have a prayer request that's immensely urgent at the time we have it. There's times where I get calls or texts or messages like that. Pastor Dan, I need you to pray for this. This is the situation, and I don't know what's going to happen here. You know how many times I don't hear how it went? And then later on, I'm like, how did it go? It's like, oh, that was fine. You go through that moment, you would think that you were going to die in that moment because of the stress. But you got through it. Can I t- stop you for something? Can I get you into a practice? Write down that God did. Remember that God did. Give God the glory for the answered prayer. Give God the, the praise for what he's done in your situation. Don't let it fade from your memory. Write it down. Put it somewhere. Put it on a post-it note. Put it in a journal. And remind yourself so that when you're discouraged and when you go through your next challenge, you pick up your journal and you flip through it and you remember when you were unemployed. You remember when you were infertile. You remember there were times that you had no friends. You remember that you didn't have a job. And then all of a sudden you say, God provided. He did it now and he can do it again. Do you want greater faith this year? I do. I need greater faith. Greater faith in God. Greater faith in his faith in me. It's not that I don't believe God can. It's that sometimes I don't think he can do it with me. Can anybody relate to that? It's not even a matter of like God asks you to do something and you don't think he he can. You sometimes think that you can't. Because you're flawed, you're sinful, you're not skilled, you don't speak well, you don't have good leadership skills, you don't know how to gather and organize people. Can I say that none of that matters to God? He asked you because he wants you. So we have faith in God who has faith in you to do what he asked you to do. 
I want greater faith this year. I want you to have greater faith this year. I don't want this to be another year with, that goes by and we go, well, I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. Or I used to believe God for that, and I don't believe God for it anymore. This year, I want it to be something where God is working in your heart to be- help you believe for things that are going to even sound outrageous to you. To do bigger, to do better. And if he's already asked you to do it, go ahead and start doing it. Because in that, your faith will be stretched and challenged, and God will increase your capacity for faith. I want to challenge you today to live daily with a dependence on God and resist the urge to drift away. I'm going to say it to you today, if you feel like you're drifting away, get back to where God is. If you feel your faith weakening, spend time in God's presence. If you feel like you're drifting away from the church and from God and from everything else, now is the time to talk to somebody and say, you know what, I feel like I'm drifting. I feel like I just don't have any aim. Get around people with strong faith who are going to encourage you and walk with you back on the road and the path back to Him. This is the year for greater faith. The greater challenges means that your faith is being tested to a greater degree. Can we see it that way? This morning we can just bow our heads and close our eyes. Do you want greater faith? Do you want God to restore your faith, renew your faith once more, and help you believe for the things that you used to, but you either grew out of or grew apart from? If God's speaking to you today, this morning is the time that God wants to do that. If you want me to pray for you this morning, will you just simply slip up a hand with no one else looking around, and I'll pray for you this morning. Pastor, I need greater faith for the road ahead. else. I'm going to pray. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For some of you, you may not have taken this faith journey before. For you, this might seem like it's new. But this morning, God's calling us to faith. And one of the important faiths that we need to have is saving faith. Faith in Jesus Christ as the only one who can save your soul. Not through works, not any church, not any person. Not because you grew up in a religious family, but because you recognize that and you believe the testimony of Jesus Christ, that he was indeed the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he is the only one that can save your soul. Today, he wants you to know he loves you, he cares about you, and he has a plan for your life, and he wants to take you on that journey with him. If this morning you've never heard that before, and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you've never spoken and prayed that prayer before, this morning I want to give you the opportunity to do so. If there's anyone here that is in that situation, will you just quietly, with no one else looking around, slip up a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need Jesus today. Hallelujah. Then we're talking with Christians today. So let's pray. Let's believe God together, shall we? Will you just bow your head, close your eyes, and just really just press into God right now. Let's just look to Him. Lord, thank You for saving us. Thank You for loving us. Thank You for, Lord, 
being with us all of our life, and there's been times it hasn't always been good, but you've been there. We always knew that we could reach out to you and talk to you. I pray today for each person that feels like their faith is weakening, who feels like they're drifting from you. Lord, I pray, help them to know that that power is still there for them. That love is still there for them. Your presence is still there for them. Help them to let go and to forgive others for what's happened in their life, but to also forgive you for the times that they thought that you didn't come through for them and maybe they were disappointed in you. Today, Lord, we just lay those things aside and we cry out, God, God, give us greater faith to believe and do what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that you would raise up, Lord, a church that's not willing to quit or give up when things get hard, but rather they would press in until we see the impossible done today. So, Lord, I just pray, draw them closer to you. Give them a revelation of yourself. Help them to know that you are there and that, Lord, you will give them the faith they need for every challenge that's ahead. That all they need to do is take you at your word and step out and see what you will do. Strengthen, restore, and bless, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.